in its 52-year history, a woman has never led the operations of the regional transportation districts over 1,000 buses and 267 trains. In its 52-year history, a woman has never directed the work of RTD's 2,600 employees. But such is happening now. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. For Ms. Deborah Johnson, her road to becoming the first CEO and general manager of RTD has been a route of challenges and achievement. Her direction in the transit began in law school and made stops in Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Long Beach, California in executive positions. She has led RTD the past two years, arriving during a chaotic pandemic and just following a contentious general election. In addition to RTD, she also serves on the Board of Directors of the American Public Transportation Association, and she is active with the Women's Transportation Seminar and the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials, COMTO. So what words of insight does a woman selected by COMTO as one of the 10 women who moved the nation have to share with us? I would say live the life you're intended to live, not the life that others tell you to live. On this edition for Women's History Month, we share an insightful ride with RTD CEO and general manager, Ms. Deborah Johnson. I would say um, it was somewhat difficult. However, I am one that understands that literally and figuratively you cannot spell the word challenge without change. And recognizing I was making a change, I knew that there would be uh, some challenges along the way. And in doing so, recognizing the opportunity to leverage my servant leadership, I powered through because um, public transportation is something that I believe in um, because I would be engaging in this conversation with you today if I didn't utilize public transportation. So I look at it through the lens that's incumbent upon me oftentimes to be the voice of the voiceless. And in this instance, you know, ensuring that I can bring the voice from the bus stop into the boardroom And so weathering through that, I knew it would be for the betterment of those that are most uh, reliant on public transport. And that's what enabled me to power through. Someplace between your B.A. in international relations and your master's in public administration, is that when the transit bug hit you or the curiosity saying, let me find out about this, this may be a good place for me to be? Well, actually, I fell into public transit. I mean, I used it, you know, um, growing up. I used it to go to high school. I used it in college as I went to the University of California, Davis, and they have a great um, bus system on campus known as Unitrans that's operated and run by students. And I actually was on the trajectory to go to law school. And um, during the course of the time in which I was going down that path, I was accepted into a program that's still in existence called Council for Legal Educational Opportunities, and it basically focused on those that um, may not have been uh, on level playing field with other likely law school applicants. And so basically I did the CLIO program at the University of California, Berkeley Uh School of Law, which at the time was Bolt Law School. Well, long story short, going through that program, I realized that I was more interested in public policy and administration. And um, that led me to pivot. And so after planning going to law school and I got accepted into a law school, I changed my course of action 
And during that period of my life, there was um, somebody that I was dating, and he was an engineer at Cal. And um, there was an opportunity, and I took a job with an engineering-based consulting firm and worked on a major highway project in the Bay Area. And that was my foray into public transit because my role was to engage with Caltrans, the State Department of Transportation, with the various agencies, the transit agencies in the Bay Area, and there's like 28 of them, and um, or 27, I stand corrected. And all of this came full circle uh, with me sort of dipping my toe in the water as related yeah, yeah. to public transport because I was leveraging, you know, various skills um, that were needed from a public administration and management perspective. And when I first took that job at the consulting firm, I was also going to graduate school um, in the evenings. And that's how I fell into the realm of public transportation. Did you ever stop to think, I'm a woman in this profession, in this field, with all these men around. Do I really belong here with these guys? And if they start, you know, doing what men do, how am I going to put up with that? And then you stepped even higher there. So did that, did that ever cross your mind as a, a woman in a traditionally uh, male field and how to handle it? Well, I was raised by a strong black woman who told me that I could achieve whatever I wanted to if I put my mind um, if I centered my mind on it. And so and my father actually um, said to me, baby, I don't have any sons, but in some instances, air quotes, you need to be a man when I did broach that with uh-huh. him. And so more so, um, I had um, individuals, male role models that yeah, yeah. supported me and provided me with a network that lift me, that lifted me up. And so, of course, that crossed my mind. I often was the only woman in the room. And more specifically, I'm a black woman. I was the only black person in the room. And so um, that has plagued me throughout uh, my career with experience and um, wisdom uh, with me now. Mm -hmm. Um, I owe it to myself to stand in my truth and let my representation be seen. So now I don't flinch as I did perhaps 30 years ago, because I know people are watching and oftentimes individuals, other people that look like me, other women, be they black, white or polka dot will see me in that space. And I have to ensure that I'm being true and authentic in all that I do. So um, yes, I questioned it, but now it is who I am and has made me a better leader because of it. The reason why I ask you the question is that as women continue to go into non-traditional professions and become really, really uh, strong leaders in America, the one thing that did not stop you at all was because you did not see another woman in the room or you did not see another African-American in the room because the only way you can be a trailblazer is not to have those things present where you are the first. Right. And what drives me forward is I'm the first, but I can't be the last. And that's why it's important that I basically um, stay true to myself and have a kitchen cabinet that can support me and practice self-care. Because in order to ensure that I won't be the last, I have to um, keep moving forward. Yeah, because you're setting you are the role model that others are watching who are going to be hiring other people, other ladies who are going to be coming into the same space. 
most definitely. Have you come across any challenges that you didn't expect that where uh, you being an African-American woman might have gotten in the way that you had to resolve uh, to, uh, to, to maintain your forward direction and your leadership? Uh, most certainly I've encountered that in most jobs in which I had. And one in particular comes to mind when I was in uh, San Francisco at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Yeah. Um, in my role as being the number two there, I was leading labor negotiations and I had a, I had uh, a member of the leadership team uh, say to me that I don't know if the union's really listening to you or or if you're being taken seriously and used a lot of there were a lot of isms um, underwritten in the statement. There was a comment. I was young. I was pretty. Um, Actually, he says you're a young, pretty black woman. So all of those things came to fruition. And I remember this clearly and the audacity of the individual that said this was done in front of outside counsel. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and um, it happened on a Friday. And I remember on Monday, I went and had a conversation with that colleague and and his uh, rebuttal to that was, well, I'm from the South. I didn't mean anything by it. You know, I was saying you're pretty or this, that and the other. And we had a conversation. He proceeded to tell the CEO um, directly what had transpired. And from my vantage point, I spoke my truth. I told you that my expectation was it wouldn't happen again, recognizing that I had auspices over equal opportunity and other civil rights uh, yeah. uh, protections within that organization. He asked, do I need to go speak with the person that directly handled EEO complaints? And I said, I'm not filing an EEO complaint. I've shared with you how this was inappropriate, yeah. and I'm speaking to you as a colleague. So that's one example so, yes, I've had to encounter um, a myriad of different issues as it relates to who I am and what uh, people believe I represent. But that's the message to women is to take the challenges head on. Don't shrink from them at all. Do what you have to do and be honest as regarding who you are and what your positions are. And that helps build the professional that you're going to be. I would agree wholeheartedly, not just a professional, but even developing as a person in your own right as well, because I can reflect on my experiences and in each and every one, even though they may have been difficult at the time, I can reflect back and see how I have grown personally as well as professionally. Yeah, and it also seems as if in your professional development, you sent yourself, you went the directions you had to be, and, 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 and you took full ownership of that career. And when you do that, it, it really works for you. Yeah, I'm a firm believer if you don't invest in yourself, who will? And so I have to ensure that I put myself out front first. And I pride myself on being an evergreen learner. If I were to just sit back and rest on my laurels, um, I would not be moving forward because when you stop learning, you stop growing. And as I said, I pride myself on being an evergreen learner. And I have basically done myriad of trainings and different seminars and sessions or um, things of the like on my own so I could enhance my overarching uh, competencies. So one of the key messages then to young women for this uh, Women's History Month is the importance of preparation, educational preparation, 
and the importance of keeping your mind open for a change in case you find something else you'd like to do that you're going to welcome it or at least investigate it as a new direction to go. I would agree with that statement. You summarized that very well. Um, I want to chat with you about Reimagine RTD. That uh, it's being broken up into two sections on system op- optimization and then a mobility plan for the future. With the current system optimization, how how was that done? Was it a self assessment, or did RTD bring in some outside agencies to take another look with their fresh eyes? Well, first and foremost. Um as it relates to the system optimization plan and reimagine RTD, traditionally speaking in the public transit space, that undertaking is known as a comprehensive operations analysis, and most transit agencies undertake them every five to seven years. Um, when I came into the organization, that initiative had started in 2019. Some preliminary work had gotten underway, but was suspended due to COVID. When I came into the organization, we restarted um, Reimagine RTD holistically, and the first segment, the system optimization plan, is the short-term aspect of a comprehensive operational analysis. And what that really means is that the analysis was done to optimize our service delivery model. Um, There's a couple of different factors that are taken into consideration, i.e., when you look at it every five to seven years, what are travel plan patterns, what is land use, and things of the like. So with that as a backdrop, there was um, consultant help that was retained um, as we were looking at uh, a myriad of different models um, in reference to transit agencies, what one would qualify as peer agencies relative to ridership, perhaps the makeup of one's uh, rolling stock, and um, looking at how we were delivering services and if we were ensuring uh, fiscal responsibility by looking at the cost per per revenue hour. So recognizing that that was ongoing through most of 2021 and into 2022, we were able to uh, complete that with the board's um, approval and now are leveraging uh, that new service delivery model to optimize uh, the transit services that are now being provided which commenced in the beginning of this year, uh, 2023, with one of our service changes that took place in January. On this edition for Women's History Month, you are meeting and hearing from Miss Deborah Johnson, the first woman to lead RTD, the Regional Transportation District. We will continue our conversation with her on the future of transit in Denver on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Get those COVID and flu shots should you need them. And many thanks to you as well for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.